0: Welcome to Barah Ministries, an intimate local Christian church with Worldwide Impact. My name is Pastor Rory Clark. And at Barah Ministries, we know this truth, that Jesus Christ is God. As the Lord, He is 100% deity. He is God the Son. And He is also 100% human, just like you and me. His name is Jesus Christ. So John chapter 1, verse 14 says, The Lord, God the Son, became flesh. Jesus Christ, and lived among us. He is the sovereign God of the universe. He is the Savior of the whole world. And he is the Jewish Messiah. And those who make Barah Ministries their spiritual home believe in Jesus Christ. We are Christians. And we have a deep, intimate, and personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Christianity is a relationship, not a religion. The Lord Jesus Christ is a person not a thing or a concept. And just as we would do with any person we love, we spend time getting to know the Lord through the study of His Word. And you can't get to know the Lord without knowing His mind, and the Bible is His exact thinking. We have an omniscient God who knows all that is knowable. And one of the things He knows better than anyone else is the gap between the perfection He demands to get into heaven and our sinfulness. And as Christians, we, don't, we often adopt a performance mindset, choosing to think that we have to close the gap between our imperfection and the perfection God demands. And we seek to close the gap in one of two ways, either by lowering God's standards to meet our low standards, or by striving unsuccessfully to be sinless. And neither of these ways can ever be effective. Well, God knew in omniscience that we would be unable to close the gap between the perfection he demands and our sinfulness, so he closed the gap for us. God the Father sent God the Son, the Lord, to become flesh as Jesus Christ. He lived a perfect life, demonstrating that perfection in the flesh is possible, and then knowing that we would not live perfect lives, the Lord Jesus Christ went to the cross to attain perfection for us. He paid for our sinfulness with his blood, and he created the chance for us to be reconciled to his Father. And as it says in Romans chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, therefore, all these things from Romans chapter 1 through Romans chapter 4 being the case, therefore, us believers in Christ, having been justified, that is, declared absolutely righteous, declared perfect by means of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, We believers in Christ keep on having peace with God the Father. God the Father has nothing against us through the agency of our Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 5, 2, through whom also we believers in Christ have obtained our access to God the Father. That access is called reconciliation. By faith into this sphere of grace in which we now stand. So as believers in Christ, we stand in the geodesic dome of grace. And inside the geodesic dome of grace is unconditional love and forgiveness. Every sin you've ever committed, past, present, or future, was credited to Jesus's account and judged at the cross, paid for by his blood. He loves you unconditionally. And the thing I always want to know is what part of un don't you understand? He is not standing over us, waiting with his foot above our head to come down on us for our mistakes. He is a loving and amazing God who forgives us and who gives us the grace to make a mistake. So the Lord's work at the cross offers perfection for all who want it. And as believers in Christ, we have said yes to God's gift of absolute righteousness. At the moment of your salvation, you were placed into union with Christ And you were credited with absolute righteousness, which is your admission ticket to heaven. It's something that you have right this minute if you're a believer in Christ. Something you have right this minute as a believer in Christ is eternal life. It's not a future event if you're a believer in Christ. And so there's no need to strive. Cease striving and know that I am God, our Lord says. So since we have God's perfection as a free gift, there's no need to strive for what we already have. We simply enjoy what the Lord has done for us, and what he's done for us is to give us the victory through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And Barah Ministries makes a difference by teaching the word of God uh, from the Lord Jesus Christ's perspective. If you want to understand the Bible, you have to get behind God's eyes. You can't listen to the interpretations of men who like twisting it, to make sin and the law the issue. And so when you look from God's perspective and not man's perspective, by searching the scriptures to learn who the Lord is as a person, you'll learn what our God has to say about himself, what he has to say about his plan for all mankind, and what he has to say about his personal plan for each one of us. We are here to learn how to see our lives from his perspective. We're here to learn to enjoy the sphere of grace in which we stand. Amen? Amen. All right, so welcome to the lesson. Today's Bible lesson, God has a message for those who sponsor disunity. God has a message for those who sponsor disunity. Well, we've completed our study verse by verse of the first four chapters of Paul's letter to the church at Corinth. And in today's lesson, we'll review what we've studied to remind ourselves of the context of these passages, because we've taken them piece by piece. Now you're going to get to see the whole thing and how it fits together. Three passages and four chapters, mostly focused on divisions and rivalries. And that will give us a chance to reflect on these amazing lessons that we've been gifted with concerning rivalries and divisions as we make our transition into chapter five of 1 Corinthians. Well, let's hear some music. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, we are reminded that God the Father has not given believers in Christ a spirit of cowardice. He has not given us a spirit filled with fear. Instead, he's given us a spirit of divine power and unconditional love and self-discipline. These virtues, supplied abundantly by the enabling power of God the Holy Spirit, remind us That God is always with us through the ups and downs of this life. Is is God with us when life is toughest? Well, Michael Taylor (laughs) says so in his song, Even Then.
1: On the nights when the dark lasts a little bit longer When the wind and the storm is a little bit stronger When the fear in my heart digs a little bit deeper When my faith to staying gets a little bit weaker Where could I run to? I'm not afraid to
0: Grateful, Heavenly Father, for the privilege of studying your absolute truth, the Word of God. Father, we thank you for all the blessings of adversity and prosperity that you provide. And we know that you use them as lessons to teach us who you are and what you have planned for us. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for forgiving us. And thank you for being gracious toward us so that we can learn through our experiences and our mistakes under the sphere of your perfect protection. Father, we ask you to keep on opening our spiritual eyes so that we can see the goodness and the resources you have provided, so that we can see the people you've provided, and so that we can experience the divine power you've provided through God the Holy Spirit to guide us on the way to becoming conformed to the image of your Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We ask this through the power of God the Holy Spirit, in Christ's name. Say it with me. Amen. Today's Bible lesson is, God has a message for those who sponsor disunity. God has a message for those who sponsor disunity. God is brilliant in the way he's laid out the New Testament of the Bible. And as we know, the New Testament is the instruction set for the church-age believer. And the first four books of the New Testament, he tells us about himself. Matthew describes him as a king. Mark describes him as a servant, Luke describes Jesus Christ the man, and John describes Jesus Christ as God. Then in the fifth book of the New Testament, the book of Acts, written by Luke, it highlights the formation of the first century church and all the things that the twelve went through to form the first century church. Then Paul's letter to the Romans, which is the sixth book and the foundational book of biblical Christianity lays out God's plan for salvation, and reminds us of God's plans for Israel and the Jewish race. And it also begins the instructions that God gives us about the do's and don'ts of the Christian way of life. So having gotten through that, and it took us seven years to get through the study of Romans, and any Christian who hasn't studied the book of Romans does not understand Christianity, I guarantee it. And you know how I know that? Because I didn't study the book of Romans until about seven years ago, and I didn't know anything about Christianity, and I'd been a Christian for 50 years. Because if you don't understand what God is saying in Romans, you really don't understand what he's really trying to do with us. Well, the seventh book of the New Testament is Paul's first letter to the Corinthians. And in it, God highlights the destructive power of sin. And I can remember about 20 hours ago, when we started studying this, I thought, all right, here we go. We're going to be re-harping on sin and harping on sin. And it hasn't been that way at all. What a magnificent thing that he's transitioned out of this book of Romans, which lays out the foundation, and then he goes right to why human history exists. Why does human history exist? Because of a rivalry, a division in his own family, a divorce in his own family, a divorce between the Lord and his bodyguard, the anointed cherub who covers, who we know as the devil and Satan. And so what he's laid out in the first four chapters here is the destructive power of divisions, the problem that created the need for human history. And so as we continue to study this, We start to get this beautiful set of insights into God, how he starts. Let me tell you about myself. And then he says, let me tell you about this church that I formed, this Christian church. And then let me tell you what the foundation of that church is. And now let me tell you what destroys it, sin. What destroys our life? Sin. When you think about divisions and rivalries in your own relationships, the things that you are petty about, in your own relationship, the things you're scared about, you have these fears in relationship that you're going to be taken advantage of. And how do those fears manifest itself themselves? Divisions and rivalries. We start clobbering each other in the relationship, banging each other over the head, trying to force the other person to conform to some low standard that we have about what a relationship is, as opposed to allowing the relationship to evolve and seeing what the relationship can become when we're cooperating. Yesterday on the way back from Vegas, I'm in the security line, and there's the father on the left of me. His family's on the right of me. The mom's carrying a baby in that little papoose thing, or whatever they call those things, where the baby's feet are kicking like crazy. And then she's got two little boys here, and one of the boys is acting like an idiot. Well, you know the two things that I just have a big problem with are undisciplined kids and undisciplined animals. Amen? All right, so I I have to help. And so I looked at the little boy. I said, you know what we need here is a little bit of cooperation. Can we get a little cooperation today? He zips it. His mom goes, yes. The little baby's feet were going like crazy. She was happy that her brother was going to stop acting like an idiot. Right? What is that about? It's divisions. I just did what parents used to do, adults used to do all the time when I was a kid. They just gang up on kids. Kids didn't have a chance. <laughs> you know, you do something wrong. I broke some milk at the store, and I'm coming home crying. Ms. Kinkle says, what, what, what are you crying about, boy? I broke some milk at the store. I come in here. She spanks me. And then, <laughs> the storekeeper spanked me, and then when I got home, I got a spanking. They ganged up on kids. It's just wrong. So, anyway, so in the seventh book, we're learning about the destructive power of sin, and we've been studying this letter, letter for the last 20 lessons, which is about 30 hours, and we've completed the first cha- four chapters of our verse-by-verse study. So let's review What we've learned in the first three passages of this letter before we move on to chapter 5, just to remind ourselves of the context of the passages and to reflect on the amazing lessons that God has been gifting us with concerning the first problem that is plaguing the Corinthian church, and that problem is rivalries and divisions. What is it? It's Scottsdale and it's Mesa. It's I live in Scottsdale versus I'm in the hood in Mesa. All right, that's what was going on in the Corinthian church, that there were wealthy people in the Corinthian church who thought they were better than the poor people in the church. And then rather than helping them, they were criticizing them. They were dividing up into religions. Well, my teacher's better than your teacher. So let's see what, what we've learned so far in these three passages that cover four chapters. First Corinthians 1 Corinthians 1.1, Paul, called by God as a sent man to be an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God and Sosthenes, our brother, First Corinthians 1 Corinthians 1.2, to the church belonging to God that is in Corinth to those who have been sanctified, those who have been set apart as possessions of God, placed into union with Christ Jesus, called to be saints, believers in Christ are saints, thus no longer sinners, together with all those in every place who call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and our Lord, grace to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. So what do we learn? That God is, takes people and places them in front of congregations and allows the people that he places in front of congregations to send the gospel message so that people can be saved. And so we've got Paul and his assistant Sosthenes going to this place Corinth, and Corinth was the Las Vegas of the ancient world. What happened in Corinth stays in Corinth. It was a pit of sin. And right in the middle of that pit of sin, God placed the church and sent a pastor. He sent the replacement apostle for Judas Iscariot. He sent the person who taught the mystery doctrine of the church age, the person who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, Paul. He sent him there to establish a church. And Paul established the church in 18 months. He left for Ephesus. And like the lady said in... uh, in the movie, Guess Who's Coming to Dinner? The maid, Tilly, said, All hell done broke loose now. As soon as he left, All hell done broke loose in Corinth. So that's what the first three verses of the first chapter are about. Next passage begins at 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 4. I, Paul, thank my God the Father always concerning you believers in Christ at Corinth. I thank him for the grace God the Father has given to those of you at Corinth who are in union with Christ Jesus, the believers, 1 Corinthians 1.5, that in everything, you were enriched in union with Christ Jesus, enriched in all the word, and enriched in all knowledge. God sent a person who was qualified to teach the truth, and they were taught the truth, and they were filled with all the knowledge, with all the fullness that a Christian needs to be filled with. And the first step, that a Christian needs to be filled with is the gospel message. How is it that when you close your eyes in this life, you open your eyes face-to-face with the Lord in heaven? How is it? It's really simple. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. There's no work of any kind on your part necessary. You want to help God, and that would be the worst thing you could possibly do, is try to help God with your salvation, because perfection does not need your help. Our job is simply to accept what he did for us, and we did. All right, 1 Corinthians 1 6. Even as the testimony, the gospel message I gave concerning Christ Jesus was confirmed in you, Corinthian believers, simply because you believed. 1 Corinthians 1 7. So that you are not lacking in any spiritual gift. The, that's the great thing about God. When God does something, he totally equips us to do it. So he doesn't. There's a great story in the Bible about how a man who builds a tower first calculates how much money he needs to build the tower so that he won't run out of money in the middle of building the tower and have everybody laugh at him. Amen? So here we think that God somehow has uh, created this planet and then, oh my God, forgot to adjust the thermostat properly. Global warming. Oh, my God, we have to recycle so we can help God not destroy the planet. Oh, Oh, we're going to have so much plastic. We sneaked up plastic on God, so he didn't know about that. And pretty soon it's going to cover all our oceans. Yeah, right. He knew exactly what he was doing. Oh, Phoenix isn't going to get water. Oh, my God, we better build a river. And now it smells like a sewer. Tempe Town Lake. That's not a lake. I grew up on Lake Michigan. That's not a lake. That's a, that's a pond with a lot of duck crap in it. Amen. <laughs> My goodness. We can, we, God doesn't need our help. He's amazing. He's amazing. He lets you get up every day and breathe. Have you ever taken a flashlight and just held it up on a dark night in your room? There's all kinds of microbes and microorganisms floating around in the air. And God gave you lungs that sort all that stuff out. He's just amazing. And we think we need to help him. We don't need to help him. We're not lacking in any spiritual gift. 1 Corinthians one seven, Awaiting eagerly the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ at the exit resurrection of the church, which is known as the rapture. The next event in divine history is all believers are going to be plucked off the earth one day. I, I want him to wait. Give me 35 more years, and then you can do whatever you want. I don't want, to be, I don't want to be one of the pluckies who's walking around in heaven without the honor of having died. Amen? Those wimps. First Corinthians 1 Corinthians 1.8. The Lord, who will also conform you, confirm you to the end, your salvation is secure, confirming you as blameless, which is free from condemnation and accusation in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. You, as a believer in Christ, are holy and blameless right now. You don't think so. Every time you make a mistake, you go, Oh my God, I can't believe I make a mistake. Why, didn't, why can't you believe it? You do it 50 times a day. Why can't you believe it? You always make mistakes. That's how we learn. We learn by making mistakes. We don't learn by trying not to make mistakes. And yet, and and there's no church on Paul's watch that made more mistakes than Corinth. Yet what is the Lord saying to them through Paul? Your salvation is secure. You will be confirmed to the end. You cannot lose your salvation. I give eternal life to believers in Christ and they will never perish And no one will snatch them out of my hand. John 10, 28. there are a lot of believers in Christ walking around today thinking that they can lose their salvation. That's ridiculous. What kind of God would it be who would allow that to happen? I'll tell you what kind of God it would be. It would be a God I wouldn't want to worship. Amen? Because what would make that God any different from my best friend? My best friend wants to see me dead. Not really. But you know what I'm saying. I'm just trying to make a point. 1 Corinthians nine. God the Father is faithful then, even when we are faithless. This Father, through whom you were called into fellowship with his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. I sat next to a race car driver uh, on one of my trips this time. And uh, she's a believer in Christ. And I asked her, If she thought she could lose her salvation and she said well i don't know i said well why don't you know it is in the bible why don't you know the christian bible is the the handbook for christians You, you ever look in your handbook i mean you you race this she races those little trucks you know, you race your truck, what, do you just get in it and go? Or do you have a little book that you look in to see how you got to tune the timing and all that? I mean, I don't know anything about cars, but don't you have a book? She said, you yeah, have a book. Do you ever look in it? Yeah, looking look in it all the time. Well, as a Christian, how come you don't look in your book? She said, that's a good point. I said, so back to the question, can you lose your salvation? She said, I think it, if you believe you're saved, but then if you stop believing then you're not saved anymore. I said, oh, really? Like Muhammad Ali? As Cassius Clay, believer in Christ? Then he becomes a Muslim and rejects Christ? So you're saying he's in hell today? He said, well, I don't know. I think so. He's not. He's not. You can't lose your salvation once you have it. Why? God put, places you into union with Christ. You can't get out. It's not my opinion. That's what this says. The Bible says that. And every Christian should know that. We should not be walking around thinking that we have a God who is arbitrary, who's going to yank your salvation out from under you if you, don't, if you do something wrong. It's not how he works. Amen? That's how I work. If I loan you some money and you don't pay me back, <laughs> it's going to be a problem. You better believe that. <laughs> so god the father is faithful even when we're faithless this father through whom you were called into fellowship with his son christ jesus our lord all right so there's the second passage of this now we start the third passage third passage is from 1 corinthians 110 all the way to the end of chapter four and it's about divisions and rivalries here's a, here it goes now i paul exhort you fellow believers in christ i beg you by the name of our lord jesus christ that you all agree that there's no disagreement among us and that there be no rivalries among you and instead you be made complete in the same mind and in the same purpose if two christians disagree on something biblical one or both of them are wrong the bible is not wrong first corinthians 1 11 for i paul have been informed concerning you, my brethren, in the church at Corinth, by Chloe's people, that there are rivalries among you. 1 Corinthians 1.12. Now, what I, Paul, mean by this is that one of you is saying, I belong to Paul, and I belong to Apollos, and I belong to Cephas, who's Simon Peter, and I belong to Christ. 1 Corinthians 1.13. Has Christ been divided into parts? There's religion. Satan's ace trump against the human race is religion. And what is religion all about? Rivalries and divisions. Well, I don't like this thing that my pastor taught, so let's make a religion and all agree that this thing he taught isn't good and what we believe is really good. Yeah, that's how we dumb down the Bible. We dumb it down so that we can understand it instead of stepping up to what it's saying. So Christ has not been divided into component parts. Paul wasn't crucified for your sake, was he? You weren't baptized in the name of Paul, were you? Of course not. 1 Corinthians 1.14. I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius. 1 Corinthians 1.15. So that none of you would say you were baptized in my name. 1 Corinthians 1.16. Now I did baptize also the household of Stephanas, But beyond that, I don't know whether I baptized anyone else. 1 Corinthians 1, 17, for Christ did not send me, Paul, to baptize. He sent me to preach the gospel message and not in smooth, slick speech so that the cross of Christ would not be emptied of its effect. The essence of learning Bible study is not the orator. It's the word. It's not the pastor. You know, why do people go to church? Well, number one, young people, why do they go to church? Poor poor Pierce, I, I feel so bad for you. Uh, they go looking for chicks. They want to find some Christian chicks. That's number one. And then they want a social experience. And then they want a concert. And then they want a divorce ministry and a dating ministry and all these other ministries. Seriously? In other words, they want to turn the church into the world. You want to see a concert, you do not want to come and hear June Murphy. All right? I mean, she's good. But me, I want to hear Michael McDonald. You know? I want to hear Lionel Richie, Dionne Warwick. I ain't coming to see June at church. It's nice. I like your singing. Don't get me wrong. (laughs) That was the idea. Keep silent. Keep sad. Anyway. So, First 1 Corinthians, one eighteen, the word, especially the word of the cross, the gospel message, is foolishness to those who are perishing. It's foolishness to unbelievers, but to us, believers in Christ, who are being saved by the gospel message, the word of the cross is the power of God the Father which is divine omnipotence in action to accomplish our salvation. Amen? 1 Corinthians 1.19. For it stands written in Isaiah 29.14, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the cleverness of the clever I will thwart. 1 Corinthians 1.20. Where is the wise man? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God the Father made worldly wisdom foolish with the wisdom of the cross, the gospel message? First Corinthians 121, because of God, the father's wisdom, the world did not come to know God through the intellect. Instead, God was well pleased to save those who believe in his son, Jesus Christ, through the foolishness of the gospel message we preached. What we believe as Christians is that we are going to get heaven, get to heaven by believing in a dead guy who was crucified like a criminal on a cross. That's what we believe. We believe that his blood cleansed us from all our sins. The world looks at us and says, that's ridiculous. Sure is. Sure is. To you. Because you're all up in your head. We're not. We're all up in our faith. We're not in rationalism. We're not in empiricism. We are in faith. We place our confidence in the object of our faith. And the object of our faith is Christ. 1 Corinthians 1.22, For indeed, the Jews ask for signs, empiricism, and the Greeks chase after wisdom, rationalism. 1 Corinthians 1.23, But we, believers in Christ, preach about a crucified Christ, not a resurrected one. We don't talk about the victory of Christ. We talk about the humiliation of Christ, the cross, which paid for our sins. And to the Jewish unbelievers... This is a stumbling block. And to the Gentile unbelievers, the Greeks, this is foolishness. 1 Corinthians 1.24, But to those who are the called ones, to those who are believers in Christ, whose eyes were opened by the call of God, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God the Father and the wisdom of God the Father. Yeah. 1 Corinthians one twenty five, Because the foolishness of God the Father is wiser than human wisdom. And the weakness of God the Father is stronger than human strength. You know, I didn't, uh, I, I didn't like really telling people when I'm on business trips that I'm a pastor. Because I don't like how they change when I tell them I'm a pastor. You know, if they hear me say shit, you know, Oh, you're a pastor, you shouldn't say that. I like that. So I just wouldn't tell them. Well, now I'm telling people. Nah, I just say it. And I say it because I like seeing the look on their face now. I like that squirmy stuff they do. And then I tell them to get out their phone and download our app and listen to some lessons and get some information about the real God. Stop hiding from God. Amen? And I didn't not tell them because I'm ashamed of Jesus. I just didn't want to deal with talking to him the whole flight. But now I talk to everybody. It's- Horrible, but I don't mind doing that for my God. First Corinthians one twenty-six. for consider your calling, fellow believers in Christ. Consider it, that not many of you are wise according to the flesh. You're not learned by world standards. Maybe you didn't go to college. First Corinthians one twenty-six, the other half. Consider it, that not many of you are powerful according to the flesh. Maybe you're not socially and politically powerful by the world standards. Consider it that not many of you are well-born according to the flesh. Maybe you weren't born with a silver spoon in your mouth. Not blue bloods by the world's standards. 1 Corinthians 1.27, But God the Father has chosen the things and the people the world regards as foolish to shame the wise. And God the Father has chosen what the world regards as weak things to shame the strong. 1 Corinthians 1.28, And God the Father has chosen what the world regards as both insignificant and disdained the things and the people that are nothings, so that God the Father may nullify, that is, make into nothing, things that are something. He's talking to those high and mighty folks who are looking down their nose at the poor folks. 1 Corinthians 129, so that no flesh may boast before God the Father. 1 Corinthians 130, from the source of God the Father And because of him, you believers in Christ are in union with Christ Jesus, who became for our benefit the manifestation of wisdom from God the Father, and who became for us righteousness and sanctification, also known as holiness, and redemption. We as believers in Christ are redeemed, sanctified, holy, and righteous because of gifts from God. Amazing. 1 Corinthians 131, So that just as it stands written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. So the conclusion of the first chapter for those who cause rivalries and divisions, here's the message. If we think we're something when we're nothing, we deceive ourselves. Escalation six three. If we think we are something when we are nothing, we deceive ourselves. You ain't all that. Just because you got some money, you ain't all that. Because when you're in the hospice, your bank account is irrelevant. You're 48 hours from getting out of here when you hear that word hospice. Your bank account means nothing at that point. And what means something is what you did to get to know what's in this beautiful book, the Bible, only the last half of which you're responsible for. That's what matters. Your fights, your little fights at home, they don't matter. All the people who mistreat you—they don't matter. That's a temporary, light affliction. It's like a flea getting on your clothes. They don't matter. And I'd like it this week if, when you get in one of those, you hear what I just said pop into your head—that this does not matter. Stop. All right, chapter 2, 1 Corinthians 2, 1. And when I, Paul, came to you, brethren, you believers in Christ in the Corinthian church, I didn't come proclaiming to you the testimony of God, the gospel message, with eloquent speech or with human wisdom, indicative of some high social status. 1 Corinthians 2, 2. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. 1 Corinthians 2, 3. I was interacting with you, in my own weakness, and in my own fear, and in much trembling, which is the attitude of an obedient slave in awe of God. 1 Corinthians 2, 4, My message and my preaching were not delivered with the persuasive art of words and in human wisdom, but my message and my preaching were delivered as a demonstration of the spiritual power of God the Holy Spirit, in divine power, providing heavenly proof, so that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of men, but that your faith would rest on the divine power of God. I saw a thing this week where a girl was asking, a Christian that I know was asking, if you found out that what you were teaching was a lie, would you tell anybody? I knew exactly who she was talking to. And the person she was talking about, there is no way that that person would ever admit that they were teaching lies. I stood in front of this congregation and told this congregation that I learned that I was teaching lies and taught them what lies I was teaching. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. if you want to clap, it's okay. <laughs> no, do you know how hard that is? Do you know how hard it is to stand up and say that? Well, I didn't find it all that hard. Because I want to know Jesus. I don't want to know some counterfeit version of him. And I know that he put me through 50 years of going through these false religions and false things so that I could finally, when I got to the truth that he was showing me, know the difference. So that when a Roman Catholic comes into this congregation, and I talk about Roman Catholicism and the evil that it is, I was in it for 21 years on the track to be a Jesuit priest. It doesn't get more serious than that. I know what I'm talking about because I experienced it. See, God puts us through those things. And we wonder, why, God, why do you put me through so much hard stuff? Why do you let this happen to me? Why do you let that happen to me? So you can grow. So you can know. That's why. So you can know he's there. So you can know at a key time in your life, when you get delivered, that it was him and not you. You did not deliver yourself. Amen? 1 Corinthians 2, six. Yet we do speak wisdom among those who are mature, a wisdom, however, not of this age, nor a wisdom of the rulers of this age who are passing away. They're soon to be dethroned. But we speak God's wisdom in a mystery, the doctrine of the church age, the hidden wisdom which God the Father predestined before the ages to our glory and revealed that in due time. The wisdom which none of the rulers of this age, he was talking about Pontius Pilate, he was talking about Caesar, he was talking about Caiaphas, the high priest, he was talking about all those people who, who conspired to have him crucified. The wisdom which none of the Herod, the rulers which none of, the wisdom which none of the rulers of this age comprehend. For if they had understood the mystery doctrine, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. 1 Corinthians 2, 9, but just as it is written, things that the unbeliever's eyes have not seen, things which the unbeliever's ear has not heard, and things which have not entered the heart of unbelieving man are all the things that God has prepared for those who love him, and those who love him are believers in Christ. 1 Corinthians 2.10. For to us believers in Christ, God the Father revealed these things through the enabling power of God the Holy Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, even the depth of God the Father. God the Holy Spirit knows God the Father. He knows God the Son, and he searches their mind to make it clear to us what they think. 1 Corinthians 2.11. For who among humans knows the thoughts of a human except the spirit of the human which is in him? Even so, the thoughts of God the Father, no one knows except the Holy Spirit of God. Now, we believers in Christ have received not the spirit of the world, but the Holy Spirit, who is from God the Father, a person. God the Holy Spirit, from God the Father, so that we may know the things freely given to us by God the Father. Oh, everything with God is a mystery. No, it isn't. God works in mysterious ways. No, he doesn't. He works in completely predictable ways that are easily understandable by any human being who wants to understand. And how do we understand? Ask a question. And he'll give you the answer. 1 Corinthians 2.13 The things we speak about, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the Spirit, combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. 1 Corinthians 2.14 But a natural man, the Sukikas man, the unbeliever, doesn't accept the things of the Holy Spirit of God. They're foolishness to him, and he can't understand them because they are spiritually appraised. First Corinthians 2.15, But he who is spiritual examines all things, yet he himself is examined by no one. First Corinthians 2.16, For who has come to know the mind of the Lord, and who will instruct the Lord? We believers in Christ have the mind of Christ, the word of God the Bible. Well, the conclusion of the second chapter, God and his word are at the center of our lives. Eyes on man is not the answer. And to reinforce the point, God always puts the weakest people in leadership positions. Amen. Amen. God always puts the goofballs up front. Amen? Amen. Lucky you. When we return from our five-minute break, we'll take your offering, and then we'll continue to reflect on the lessons of the first four chapters of 1 Corinthians as we move into chapter 3. Five-minute break.
2: Why you ever chose me has always been a mystery All my life I've been told I belong At the end of the line with all the other not quite, Will all the never get it right, but it turns out they're the ones you were looking for all this time because 'Cause I'm just a nobody trying to tell everybody all about somebody who saved my soul. Ever since you rescued me, you gave my heart a song to sing. For the world to see Nobody but Jesus I'm living for the world
1: to see Nobody but Jesus When Moses had stage fright fright. and David brought a rock to a sword fight You picked twelve outsiders Nobody would have chosen And you changed the world Well, the moral of the story is Everybody's got a purpose
2: for the world to see nobody but Jesus So let me go down, down, down in history As another blood bought faithful member of the family And if they all forget my name, well that's fine
3: with me. I'm living for the world to see nobody but Jesus
0: Today's Bible lesson, God has a message for those who sponsor disunity. God has a message for those who sponsor disunity, where when you're giving, what's important to God is your attitude. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7 says, each one must do just as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. When we give, God wants us to give voluntarily, thoughtfully, cheerfully, prayerfully, generously, and enthusiastically. Check your attitude as you give, believers in Christ. Make sure your attitude is an exact reflection of the voluntary, thoughtful, cheerful, prayerful, generous, and enthusiastic sacrifice that our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, has made on your behalf at the cross. Let's welcome up Deacon Denny Goodall with the offering message.
4: Good morning, Good morning. I'm Danny Goodall and I'm blessed to be a deacon for Barah Ministries, which is a worldwide Christian church. And Barah, Ministries, Barah Ministries is a place where real people come to listen to a real pastor, teach the real truth from the Word of God. And as we've been studying Corinthians and talking about disunity and rivalries, I've really noticed it at home because I have two kids, a three-year-old and a five-year-old, and it's constantly that they're either... At each other's throat, or they're having fun, so they're either cooperating or they're competing. And so I just see disunity and unity all the time. And so I've really been thinking about the word unity. And when you think about it, it has UN in it as well, just like unconditional love. It's almost like a reference to unconditional love when you see the UN in unity, because we need to have unconditional love in order to have unity. And it's kind of cool when you look at the structure of the word unity, UNI. You and I, so it's you and I. It's not you or I, it's you and I, and that's unity. It's plus. It's not or. And then if you kind of stretch that out even further, if you look at a lowercase T, it looks like a plus sign. So you and I plus W or Y, you and I plus Yahweh, is unity. So us plus God is is unity, and so we have unity with God through our Christianity. And so it's kind of a cool word when you look at unity. It really has a lot of A lot of uh, cool kind of things to look at, but um, we see it in in 1 Corinthians, which we just went through, where Paul says, Now I, Paul, exhort you, I beg you, fellow believers in Christ, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all agree, and that there be no rivalries among you. Instead, that you be made complete in the same mind and in the same purpose. And that's what we do when we come to church. We're being completed in the same mind and the same purpose. And I wish I could have my family and my kids be completed in the same mind, the same purpose a lot of times, because they don't. We're always yelling, put your shoes on, put your shoes on, come back here, put your shoes on, why did you throw your shoes? Come back here, please. And it's just constantly, they're always combating us, and they're not unified. And so you just see it with family, and I feel like family is the perfect microcosm for us to see what it's like to be God. When he's like, please believe in me, it's the best thing to do. Please believe me, come back here, why'd you run away? Come back here. And, you know, we just don't do it, and we just fight it, we fight it, and I finally found I've been doing a lot of reading in like local law and stuff like that, and I found that you can arrest a baby. <laughs> you can. It, it's because when I tell her to go to bed, they're resisting arrest, right? So, I mean, it's, maybe it's a play on words, but we're going to try it. We're going to call the police next time. So. <laughs> but, no, seriously, I mean, you think about unity. It's such a critical thing, especially in a family. Or, you know, how about a sandwich, like a good submarine sandwich? It's unified with all kinds of good stuff. It's not just ham and cheese like a kid would eat. It's got, you know, the ham, the cheese, a little salami, some, some olive oil in there, a little oregano, the lettuce and some peppers and all that stuff that's unified into a, a great sub-sandwich, you know. And then think about another unity. Like how about in 2010, the, there was a, K or a, a minor collapse in Chile. And there were 33 men that were stuck in, in a hole for 69 days while they bored down to them. They unified an effort to come together to help these guys. They board like three shafts to get them out one at a time. But they're down there for 69 days. Can you imagine that if nobody had unified any type of help for them? Like one guy's like, hey, I'm going to start digging down there for you, and, you know, and then they, they never would have made it. And so unity is across the board, and we see it through our, uh, everywhere in life. And God's amazing that way, how he shows unity is always an amazing thing. And, you know, it's, it's unfortunate a lot of times, but we see unity at funerals. Because a lot of family doesn't get together, and then you have a funeral. And I, 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 can't, I can't name enough times where I haven't seen my family until it's a funeral. And I think, hey, man, when's the last time I saw you? Oh, it was Grandpa's funeral. And, and, and it's one of those things where it's unfortunate, but a funeral is something that brings people together, and we see that with Christ. His death on the cross brings people together. You know, we see Easter coming up. And it's not Easter, it's Resurrection Day and that brings people together, that brings families together, and if they know what the real reason is, if they know the real Christ, not a counterfeit Christ, it's an amazing day. And so we know that here, like a family, the, the royal family, we're unified when we come together, and that's why we want to see everybody's faces. We want everybody to come. Uh, we know there's a lot of people that don't come on a weekly basis, and the cool thing is we know they're listening, and we know there's people in, in uh, Michigan, in California, in Texas, in Florida, Um, Ohio everywhere in Iowa uh, there's people Florida people across the the country and around the world that are listening to this and they're all unified around Christ because that's the message here is for Christ and so when we do get that unity like in family like I said when I, I get too much unity you know every morning I'm probably the first one up go to the bathroom and it's probably about two or three minutes next there's L comes running in, it's like, "Hey, how you doing?" And just in the bathroom, and then here comes William. He comes in, and they all want to hang out in the bathroom, and it's unity. You know what's my initial thought is, "Get out of here, get out, get out, get out. But I need to cherish that unity because they won't always be doing that. I need to cherish when we come together. We're all laying in bed together in the morning, and that's unity, and that's one of those things we need to cherish, just like here we should cherish when we're come together. And the way to cherish it is is to to give it the offering and the way to cherish your family unity is to to give and to give love and to to spend those times together. so when you cherish something you you give to it and you support it with your time, your talent, and your treasure and so really want to thank everybody for their consistent giving giving at the offering and just to remember that you know we're of the same mind and the same purpose. It may not feel like it sometimes when our our opinions and our emotions get in the way. But when we look at Christ and we look at the Bible, it gives us a clear path. And so thank you very much.
0: today's Bible lesson, God has a message for those who sponsor disunity. God has a message for those who sponsor disunity. Well, let's hear some music in Psalm 139, verses 7 and 8. David reflects, Lord, where can I go to hide from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven above, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol and hell below, behold, you are there as well. Our God is omnipresent. He's everywhere at the same time. He is not contained by time or space. Therefore, he is always with us through the ups and downs of this life. His presence in our lives at all times gives us hope. And Danny Gokey, one of my favorite singers, sings about it in his song, Hope in Front of Me.
2: I've been running through rain that I thought would never end Trying to make it on faith in a struggle against the wind I've seen the dark in the broken places But I know in my soul no matter how bad it gets
3: I'll be alright There's hope there's a lot...
2: Finally, find.
0: Bible lesson, God has a message for those who sponsor disunity. Let's continue our reflection on the first four chapters of 1 Corinthians at chapter 3. So we have divisions and rivalries as the subject, and he continues in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 1. He says, Paul says, So I, brethren, fellow believers in Christ, couldn't speak to you, Corinthian believers, as I would speak to spiritual persons, those with the indwelling of God the Holy Spirit, believers in Christ. But I have to speak to you as if I'm speaking to men of flesh, those without the indwelling of God the Holy Spirit, unbelievers, as if I'm speaking to infants in union with Christ. 1 Corinthians 3.2, I give you milk to drink, not solid food, for you are not able to digest solid food. Indeed, even now, you're not yet able to digest solid food. Why? 1 Corinthians 3.3, 3, for you're still acting as if you're fleshly, acting like unbelievers. For since there keeps on being jealousy and strife persisting among you, I'm up here, you're down here, are you not fleshly? Aren't you acting like unbelievers, being selfish? And aren't you walking in lifestyle like mere men, as if you're not spirit-filled persons? You want to know why anything happens in relationships that looks like rivalry is selfishness? Selfishness, there's nothing wrong with selfishness. Let me, let me just tell you that. Look, if somebody starts choking you, you're going to get real selfish at that point, right? Because you're going to want to breathe. That's not the selfishness I'm talking about. It's, selfishness is where you're always thinking of yourself first and never thinking of the other person first. I asked Zachary last night on the way home from the airport, I said, what, what do you think my philosophy is about relationships? And he nailed it. It's them first, then me. But what works for both of us? That's relationship. And a lot of times you have to just keep working to figure out what is it that works for both of us. But if it only works for you and not the other person, then it doesn't work. That's what he's talking about here. Stop being selfish. That's what causes strife, rivalries, friction, fighting, selfishness. I hate being on teams where there are players on the team who are talking about my minutes and my statistics. The minute I hear that as a coach, that person's off my team. I don't want that person on my team. I don't care how good they are either. Michael Jordan was that way for the first seven years of his career. Great athlete. Could dunk from the free throw line. How many championships in the first seven years? Nada. None. Because he was selfish. He got his 60 points, and then the other four guys are standing around staring at him. They might as well have had popcorn. Wow, Micah, that was... (laughs) Scott, A, did you check that? I don't like those guys. And until he learned to become a basketball player instead of an athlete, he didn't win jack. That's what Paul is talking about here. First Corinthians three, four for when one of you says I'm of Paul and another of you says I'm of Apollos. And you are you not acting like mere men? Aren't you acting like unbelievers who thrive on rivalries? First Corinthians three, five. What then is Apollos? And what is Paul? Tell you what we are. We are servants through whom you came to believe, just as the Lord gave the opportunity to believe to everyone through the gospel message. 1 Corinthians 3 6. I, Paul, planted the seed, Apollos watered the seed, but God was the one causing the spiritual growth in the mission field. 1 Corinthians 3 7. So then, neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything. But God who causes the growth is everything. You look at Baram Ministries. We don't have a lot of people here. You know what's cool about that? God doesn't need numbers. He changed the whole world with 11 guys. 12 people, one of whom was a, was a, a betrayer. And then he replaced him with a bigger betrayer. 12 people changed the whole world. He doesn't need numbers. But here's the thing about God: those seeds that get planted and get watered, when God starts producing the growth, it's obscene. that will happen here. You better be ready for it. You're not going even like it. Why are all these people here? You're not even like it. It was so nice when we were small and intimate. Yeah, it was. We got a bigger building coming, and there are going to be a lot more seats in there. And everybody's impressed with buildings. Maybe we'll have a concert. <laughs> Dion Warwick, who else? <laughs> First Corinthians 3, eight. Now he who plants the plow hand and he who waters the water boy are one in unity because each is a member of the body of Christ. But each will receive his own individual reward according to his work. 1 Corinthians 3, nine. for we, Apollos and I, are co-workers under God's direction. We cooperate. You are God's cultivation, which is a field analogy. You are God's construction, which is a building analogy. The Bible has to be interpreted in the time it was written, and at the time it was written, it was an agricultural economy and a building economy, and, and the people understood exactly what Paul was talking about. 1 Corinthians 3.10. According to the grace of God which was given to me, Paul, as a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation with the gospel message, and another teacher is building on it. But each teacher must be careful how he builds on the foundation. 1 Corinthians 3.11, For no one can lay a foundation other than the one which has already been laid, the foundation known as Jesus Christ. A concert isn't going to get you to heaven. A divorce ministry isn't going to get you to heaven friendships at church aren't going to get you to heaven. This is not a social experience. It's really good that we here at Barah Ministries like each other and we hang out. That's not what we're here for. We're here to learn the word and have that word apply to the stuff that's going on in our lives every week. This, ha- this has to be meaningful to what's going on in your life every week. When you- If you have divisions and rivals, you've got to stop and ask yourself, what's the source of this? And you'll trace it right back to the flesh and selfishness. That's what the source of it is. Stop being selfish. Think of somebody but yourself. Amen? 1 Corinthians 3.12 Now if any teacher builds on the foundation with gold, silver, and precious stones with valuable biblical messages in other words or if any teacher builds on the foundation with wood, hay, and straw with worldly messages and of course he does the prosperity gospel 1 Corinthians 3.13 The quality of each teacher's work note the singular work will become evident for the day of judgment will show the value of the work because the value of the work is to be revealed with fire. And the fire itself will reveal the quality of each man's work. All I care about when I introduce you to the Lord Jesus Christ is that you know who he is that I'm introducing you to. That's it. Do you know him? Do you know anything about what he thinks? That's what I want. 1 Corinthians 3.14 Now if any man's work which he has built on the foundation remains, and for some it will, he will receive a reward. 1 Corinthians 3.15, If any man's work is burned down, and for some it will be, he will suffer a loss of reward. But he will be saved, yet only in this way, as if he escaped through fire. There are a lot of you who, when you're at the reward seat of Christ, the judgment seat of Christ, as believers in Christ, you have a lot of soot on your face. Amen? As if through fire. Because you did a lot of stuff to impress God that wasn't impressive at all. What's impressive to God is what you do that he gives you to do. 1 Corinthians 3.16 Do you not know? We know that whenever Paul says that, he's asking a simple question. Are you ignorant? Do you not know that all you believers in Christ in the congregation at Corinth are a temple of God the Father, and that the Holy Spirit of God dwells in you? Do you know that? 1 Corinthians 3.17 And if any teacher destroys the temple of God, God will destroy the teacher. For the temple of God is holy, and that is what you believers in Christ are to God, holy. 1 Corinthians 3.18. So stop lying to yourself. Command, don't give in to internal deception. If any man among you presumes that he is wise in this age, let him become a fool to the world in order to become wise. 1 Corinthians 3.19. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness to God. For it is written, God is the one who catches the wise in their cunning schemes. 1 Corinthians 3.20. And again it's written, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are useless. You can't con God. You can't buy God. You can't fool him about your thoughts. He knows the thoughts and intents of your heart. 1 Corinthians 3.21. So then stop boasting about humans, for in God's plan, everything belongs to you, you believers in Christ. Whether it's Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or things present or things to come, all things belong to you, believers in Christ, because they come to you from God. I am a possession of yours from God. I am here to serve you. And that's why I don't consider it an option not to come here on Sunday. If I have to move the lesson to 6 o'clock to accommodate a travel schedule so I can eat, then I'll do that, but I don't consider it an option not to come. Because I'm yours. I belong to you. But conversely, you belong to me. So you shouldn't consider not coming either. 1 Corinthians 3.23. And you belong to Christ, and Christ belongs to God the Father. The conclusion of the third chapter is possessions of God. Keep your eyes on God and not on man. Fix your eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of your faith, who for the joy set before him, despised the shame, and hung on a cross to pay for everything on your behalf. All right, final chapter of 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1. Think of your, your teachers this way. Command, regard us as fellow servants executing the orders of Christ, and as stewards who've been entrusted to distribute God the Father's mysteries, the previously unrevealed mystery doctrines of the church age, the doctrine of Christ indwelling you, the hope of glory. 1 Corinthians 4, two. In addition, it is required of students to be found trustworthy. That's what I was just saying to you. I have to come here. If I want to impress God, he has asked me to be a pastor. He has asked me to teach this congregation. I have to come here. That's trustworthy in his eyes. 1 Corinthians 4, three. But to me, Paul, it's a petty thing that I should be examined by you or by any human court. In fact, I don't even examine myself. What is that? You remember that lesson? You don't have the right to judge yourself or others. Get off your own back. That's what Paul is saying. 1 Corinthians four four. For I, Paul, am conscious of nothing against myself. I stop blaming myself for killing Christians. That's what he's saying here. I stop blaming myself for trying to single-handedly wipe out the Christian church, because that's what Paul was trying to do when he was knocked off his high horse on the way to Damascus. I am conscious of nothing against myself. Romans eight one says, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in union with Christ. If you're a believer in Christ, you have no right whatsoever to criticize yourself. Why? Because you are in the middle of this marathon, and no marathoner criticizes himself for where he is in the middle of the race. And where he always is in the middle of the race is in the middle of the pack and not the front. So I, Paul, am conscious of nothing against myself, yet I am not acquitted by this. I'm by no means innocent. But the one who examines me is the Lord. He is the one, since he created you, he's the one who has the right to examine you. 1 Corinthians 4, 5. Therefore, command... Stop passing judgment on yourselves or anyone else before the appointed time, which is at the rapture of the church. But wait until the Lord comes back to judge, who will both bring to light the things hidden in the dark and who will disclose the motive of every person's heart, and then each person's praise will come to him from God. Now, this is not saying that when God comes back, he's going to go right to your closet and expose your leather collection. Amen? <laughs> He doesn't care that you have those things and you like whipping yourself. He doesn't care about that. That's not what's going to be exposed. What's going to be exposed is that beautiful heart that you've had for Christ. This is positive. <laughs> I don't want to know. I don't want to know what that laughing over there is about. So don't think of this in the negative. Think of it in the positive. You're going to be illuminated as a light of the world. 1 Corinthians 4.6. Now, With regard to these things, believers in Christ, these things I have applied both to myself and to Apollos for your sake so that you may learn a very simple lesson. Stick to what is written. Obey the word of God. If you want to know whether what anybody is teaching you is correct, find it in the word of God. Stick to what is written so that not one of you will become puffed up with arrogance which is self-absorption instead of self-knowledge, favoring one person over another. 1 Corinthians 4.7, For what makes you special? What do you have that you didn't receive from God? And if you did receive everything from God, why do you boast as if you had not received it from God? 1 Corinthians 4.8, So quickly you've become satisfied with yourselves. You've already become rich, and apart from us you have become kings, ones who reign, you elevated yourself to a throne. Indeed, I wish that you did become kings so that we might reign with you. 1 Corinthians 4, nine. For I, Paul, think God, has displayed us apostles, your teachers, as last of all, as men condemned to death so that we might be a spectacle, a theatron to the world, both to angels and to men. Your teachers are always the ones who are embarrassed the most. We're put up front, and then we're embarrassed so God can display us, last of all, as people condemned to death. We love it, too. We signed up for it. We know what we're doing. Nobody in their right mind would sign up to be a pastor, and there's nothing I would rather do, amen, because there's no one I'd rather serve than my Lord. And the embarrassment, the momentary things that happen here that validate that I am a worthless nothing are the things that qualify me to do this job. Because I can't talk to you if I'm high and mighty. Can't. 1 Corinthians 4.10 We as teachers are fools for Christ's sake. But you are sensible in union with Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are esteemed, but we're dishonored. 1 Corinthians 4.11 To this present moment, we are both hungry and thirsty. We're poorly clothed in tattered clothing. We're roughly treated, and we are homeless. And we toil, working with our own hands, making tents, he was talking about. Yet when we are reviled, we bless. When we are persecuted, we endure. 1 Corinthians 4.13, when we are slandered, we speak encouragement. We have become as the scum of the world, the dregs of all things until now. I just had this revelation this morning that I don't mind being played. I don't mind being mistreated. I don't mind being hurt. I don't mind being made a fool of. Why? Because this happens so often that I'm used to it. I'm fine with it. I don't expect things of people. And I'm surprised when I get anything you going to hurt me? Do it. Get in line. See, that's what Christianity brings as a benefit. That as you mature in Christianity, you don't mind looking like an idiot. And especially in relationships, because you know what? You know, the, it, there ought to be a sign on a relationship. Welcome to looking like an idiot. You don't want to look like an idiot? Be by yourself. Be alone. But when you sign up for a relationship with somebody, you'd look signing up to to pick the person that's gonna abuse you. Isn't that cool? Pierce said, No, I ain't cool, man. I ain't even trying to do that. You'll see. <laughs> And when it happens, I'll be here for you, man. We're building a relationship. 1 Corinthians 4.14. I, Paul, did not write these things about rivalries and divisions to shame you, Corinthian believers. I write to counsel you, my divinely loved children. He turns into a dad now. For even if you had 10,000 boy keepers, the disciplinarians who want to spank you with rulers... You would have not, have not many fathers, for in union with Christ myself, I fathered those of you in union with Christ Jesus through the gospel message. 1 Corinthians 4.16, Therefore I exhort you, be imitators of me. Paul is not being arrogant here. He's saying, do what mature believers in Christ do. And What do we do? We turn our whole eyes and our whole heart to the Lord. 1 Corinthians 4.17, For this reason, to show you how to imitate a leader... I have sent to you Timothy. He's actually on his way to Corinth. The one who is my divinely loved and faithful child in union with the Lord. And he will remind you of my ways, which are the ways of one in union with Christ, not the ways of a non-spirit-filled person. And Timothy will teach you the same ways and the same things that I teach everywhere in every church. 1 Corinthians 4.18. Now, some of you have become arrogant, puffed up as though I were not coming to you face-to-face. You're talking a lot of smack behind my back, in other words. 1 Corinthians 4.19, But I will come to you soon face-to-face, as the Lord wills it, and I shall find this out. And what I'm going to find out is not the words of those who are arrogant and puffed up, but I'll find out the source of your power. And if the source of your power is yourself, you're in trouble. That's what he's saying. 1 Corinthians 4.20, For God's kingdom is not based on worldly talk, It's based on divine power. 1 Corinthians 4.21 So what do you want? Shall I come to you with a rod to kick your butt? Or shall I come to you in unconditional love with a gentle spirit? The conclusion of the fourth chapter? Keep people in perspective and use them as signposts for what not to do. And let what God tells you be the thing that guides your thinking. And your actions, that's the message God has for those who sponsor divisions. It's not going to work. And if you're experiencing that, just keep your eyes on me and everything will work out. God's message for those who sponsor disunity, stop wasting your time. God is going to have his way. And his way is unity. So get on board the love train. People all over the world, join hands on the love train. Love train, you remember that song. If you do, you're old. All right, we, conclu- <laughs> we conclude with this message. God wants you, and what he wants from you is that you make the most important decision of your life. So the closing moments of our study, as always, are for the benefit of anyone who doesn't have a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, the sovereign God of the universe. We want you to know that God wants you, and there are three simple things to remember if you want to get to heaven. First, the one way, the only way to get to heaven is through the Lord Jesus Christ. John, chapter 14, verse 6. Jesus said to the doubting apostle Thomas, I am the way to salvation. I am the truth through the word of God. I am the resurrection life, and no one comes to the Father in heaven but through believing in me. Second, Remember Acts chapter 16, verse 31. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and everyone in your household who also believes. And third, remember the invitation and the warning of John three thirty six. He who believes in the Son has the resurrection life, eternal life, right at that moment. But he who does not obey the command to believe in the Son will not see the resurrection life. Instead, the wrath of God, the lake of fire, abides on him. Don't miss your opportunity to take advantage of this good news. Salvation is as close as a five-word conversation with God the Father. Father, I believe in Christ. Or for the thief on the cross, a nine-word conversation. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Simply believe. Merely take God's word for it for what it takes to be saved, and that is the moment of eternal life for you. All right, closing song, according to Isaiah chapter 46, verses 9 and 10. Remember the former things long past, for I am God and there is no other God. I am the only God and there is no one like me. Isaiah 46:10. I am the God who is declaring the end from the beginning and from the ancient times. I am the God who is declaring things which have not been done, saying my purpose will be established and I will accomplish all my good pleasure. Here's June Murphy to sing about our magnificent God in her song, How Great You Are. grateful heavenly father for the privilege of studying this truth that you've given us today and we ask that you let it resonate throughout our soul and that you let it infect everything that we're doing in the coming week that you remind us that you're all about unity and you're not about division to remind us that whenever there's division there's selfishness reminding us to get to the core of that and to root it out, because that is not the flower that you've placed in us called unity. That is a weed that is attempting to choke out unity, and you do not want that in our lives. And we ask that you continue to spread the gospel message through us, that you give us the courage to tell people about Jesus Christ and the good news concerning what he did at the cross, and that we have the courage to live the life that, You plan for us that we have the courage to use the spiritual gift that you gave us because you did not give us a spirit of cowardice. You gave us a spirit of power and of love and of self-discipline with a sound mind. Let us, as we go forward, infect others with that. We ask this through the power of God, the Holy Spirit. In Christ's name, say it with me. Amen. Thanks for coming, thanks for watching, and thanks for listening.